It's all about your health, your wellness. Radio MD. RadioMD.com. Get healthier, get fit, eat better, have a richer quality of life. Health on the go. Staying well with Melanie Cole, MS. Benign prostatic hyperplasia, or BPH for short, can affect about half the men over 60, and it can happen when the prostate becomes enlarged and often results in a host of unpleasant symptoms. My guest is Dr. James Spees. He's the chairman of the Department of Radiology at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital. Welcome to the show, Dr. Spees. What is BPH? Well, as you indicated, BPH is a very, very common condition of older men. And the prostate gland, which is uh, part of the reproductive uh, system of men, uh, as they age, and, and particularly in their 60s and 70s and beyond, will have enlargement of the cellular material within the uh, prostate gland and also of areas outside the, the cells. And it causes an enlargement, in essence. It's a benign process, completely benign. It's not prostate cancer. Uh, but uh, it causes uh, really pretty significant symptoms for most men. What are some of those symptoms that men would experience that would send them to see somebody? Well, the most common symptoms are in the class of what we call lower urinary tract symptoms. So these are problems with urination. It can be problems starting urination. It can be a very weak stream of urination. It can be dribbling at the end of urination. It can be uh, a frequency of urination, irritation, so that even uh, just after you've gone and emptied your bladder, you have the sensation you still have to go. Uh, one of the most common symptoms also is uh, the uh, waking up at night and the, the need to get up to, to urinate. And many men will experience that two, three, four times a night. It really causes a significant impact on their life. And Dr. Spees, once this is diagnosed, whether by digital exam, which I know we women have to send our men in kicking and screaming to get diagnosed with any sort of prostate issues, but there's some non-surgical procedures that you can help men deal with BPH. Tell us about those. Well, first, I think every man needs to be evaluated by a urologist, and that's typically the first step. And that is for a couple of reasons. One is to make the diagnosis appropriately, and also to be sure there isn't some other condition of the prostate, such as prostate cancer, that might also be present. Once that's excluded by a combination of tests and and imaging, if necessary, uh, then a variety of treatment options are open. So the first really ought to be considered are medications. And there are a number of medications that are possible, uh, but uh, some men don't tolerate those or choose not to do them. There are some side effects, and and depending upon how those medications affect uh, a man, uh, he may choose to go on to different treatments. So usually first-step medications are quite a number on the market, uh, and they, for many men, are are enough, but uh, a significant minority of men will have to go on to some additional treatment. Uh, that's where our uh, procedure, which is a new procedure being evaluated, comes in because it is a minimally invasive approach to treating the, uh, the prostate enlargement. Tell us about that procedure, Dr. Spees. Well, it's called prostate artery embolization, and it's just being evaluated in this country as we speak. There are very few centers that are yet doing it, and most of the centers that are performing this are doing it under a research protocol of one type or another. This procedure was first uh, evaluated in Europe and Portugal uh, by Dr. Joan Pisco. Uh, his group evaluated this has, and been, has been performing it for the past several years. Uh, there's another group down in uh, Sao Paulo. What invol- is involved here is the uh, advancement of a catheter from the artery at the top of the leg 
into the branches that feed the prostate gland. And one has to do this on both sides, both the right and the left. And once in place, small beads, or what are called microspheres, are injected into those arteries slowly, and they are essentially plugs. They're little round, tiny beads that are really half a millimeter or smaller in size, and go in and wedge in the blood vessels and block the blood vessels to the central part of the prostate. This results in the uh, sort of the depth of some of that uh, uh, enlarged tissue, and it shrivels back and scars, and that results in the shrinkage of the prostate, and as a result, uh, urinary flow is improved. Dr. Spees, you mentioned the words shrinkage and shrivels, and I'm just saying men are not going to want to hear that in regards to their prostate. Are there side effects that might go along with this type of treatment? Is there any sexual dysfunction involved? No, actually, to date, there have been no sexual dysfunction involved with this procedure, although we certainly are evaluating it, as are other researchers in the area, in order to try to be sure on that. But we have no indication of sexual dysfunction, and that's different than some other of the more standard treatments in which there are some sexual problems that can occur. Uh, when we think of shriveling up the prostate gland, your prostate gland only provides uh, uh, a very minor part of your reproductive function. It really has very little to do with testosterone or anything else. So virility and, and uh, uh, ejaculation and other things are usually not affected in a negative way. So from a sexual perspective, at least from what we know at this stage, there really are no negative side effects. Although, again, we need additional evaluation to be certain. Are there certain men that would be precluded from this type of procedure? Well, first of all, we have to be sure that the man does not have prostate cancer, which, again, is very common in men, particularly uh, men in the uh, really older age range, you know, beyond 70, 75 years old. So men need to be screened for that first. Uh, second, the, so far, at least in terms of the initial evaluation of this, uh, certain groups of patients are being excluded. Those who have very advanced and really extremely large prostates, those who have some damage to the bladder as a result of the prostate obstruction, uh, those who've had previous problems with their urinary system, symptoms. So there are a number of men who uh, have pre-existing problems that would preclude them from participating in the current studies. Now, down the road in a few years, once we have this initial data and we have a better understanding of the procedure's overall safety profile, then some of these groups that are currently being excluded might be able to be treated. But initially, uh, the FDA, in terms of monitoring this, is looking for patients without complicated circumstances to be evaluated. And do you anticipate, how long do you anticipate this procedure to last as men grow older and BPH becomes more common? Is this something that would have to be redone, or is it going to last a few years? Well, at this point, we don't know, to, to be honest. We, we do have data out to uh, two years uh, in some of the larger studies that have been done in Europe, and, and the results are promising. The results do seem to indicate that symptom uh, uh, control is is preserved and and men have good long-term control. But there are relatively few patients that are out beyond two or three years. So I think that the the jury is out on that. We really don't know with certainty yet um, how long this will last. One of the good things about this is that uh, if there was recurrence two, three, four years down the road, it is certainly possible to repeat this procedure, at least from what we know at this stage. And would it be something that would be used in conjunction with medication? It certainly can be, and many of the men we're treating are on medication, had some relief, but not sufficient relief. So there would be no reason why, and we we have treated men uh, that are on steady state doses of the medication, 
that's allowed in our protocol, and they continue that afterwards. And so there may be a synergistic or additive effect of one on the other. We don't have all the, the uh, knowledge we'd like to have on that, but at this stage, you do not need to come off your medication to participate in our study or some of the others that are ongoing. In just the last minute or so that we have left, Dr. Spees, give listeners your best information for some lifestyle, you know, behaviors that you would like them to adhere to that might help reduce their risk of BPH or help control, manage some of those symptoms. Well, you know, this is, we always are looking for the magic bullet to prevent some of these conditions. And to date, there really is not good evidence about what we can do that will absolutely reduce the risk. What I would say in general are the usual lifestyle recommendations that are made by most physicians. So that includes, first of all, weight control. Uh, it includes uh, control of blood pressure. If the blood pressure is elevated, if there's diabetes, certainly those kinds of systemic or general diseases need to be well controlled. So uh, I think good fitness, uh, good health, uh, good weight control are the best things that one can do to try to preserve their health. But even with best intentions, I'm not sure we're going to be able to slow the progress of uh, the enlargement of the prostate. And some of these other uh, treatments may, may be needed. It's very exciting information for men suffering with BPH. There are always new things on the horizon, and that's why you listen to Radio MD, because we are here talking about them. This is Melanie Cole for Radio MD. Thanks for listening, and stay well. Stay well.